welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Sean. Hope you guys are well. We're happy to be with you today. Uh, feeling kind of uh, bougie drinking uh, San Pellegrino. We just found this in the... Uh, <laughs> fridge somebody's not gonna be happy uh that we stole there do you feel like you're back in italy now i do and i'm going back to rome for a very short trip and i cannot wait uh for the sparkling water to have some proper san pellegrino no to have a proper spritz uh and have some proper carbonara father daniel usterman our brother companion is defending his dissertation and father mike and i are going to rome that's great for five days that'll be awesome yeah do you get to ask him questions too, or is that just the board? That's just the board, yeah. That's unfortunate. I would, I would have loved to heard you grill him. That would have been fun on something I know nothing about, <laughs> right. yeah, which would have been yeah interesting. So That's yeah, ex- what seminarians do. That's what seminarians do, yeah. They exactly. talk a lot about topics that they don't know much about. Exactly. So... Um, yeah, so that's coming up, uh, and but more than that, we're heading to New York, upstate New York here for the, um, as we've talked about, we're doing a pilgrimage to the North American Martyr Shrine, um, and uh, it's going to be amazing. Guys are freaking out. You know, some of the old dogs are realizing they haven't done anything out of the city in like 20 years, and so they don't have sleep bags and things, and they're panicking. But um, Morgan drew this on the whiteboard like, Who's going to make it to the end and who's going to be in the vans first? And the only two to make it to the end were Father John and Father Jason Wunsch. I'm like, how come I don't even make it to the end? That's ridiculous. But uh, she had on day one, Brian Larkin, Father Brian Larkin in the van (laughs) after two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a cluster at some points. I mean, we're doing like 23 mile days, which these, the, I don't think they realize how long that is. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's, a 60, really, that's a really long ways to walk. 65 miles over three days. I think the elevation is going to be all right. But um, yeah, so so yeah, we're kind of getting things done, uh, tying up loose ends, but uh, trying to get this podcast out before we head out, and then hopefully we'll do some recording. But uh, I'm happy to be with Shawnee Boy and to give you a little uh, deep dive into uh, my class on Tuesday. Great. I'm teaching Giassani in Introduction to Theology. Hmm. Uh, to the guys in their first semester. And these guys are kind of bright-eyed, right out of the spirituality year, looking at me like, why does he keep using the word metaphysical? Uh, <laughs> we don't know anything. And yeah. I forget that they don't, they're babies. I'm teaching kindergarten. That's right. So first semester of philosophy. Yeah. So this is a theology elective in philosophy. This is a theology course in philosophy. You know, part of the problem is we've we've spoken about guys studying philosophy and then studying theology, but the church doesn't speak about it like that. Church speaks about it as like these two different phases, discipleship and then configuration, mm-hmm. where you study different different disciplines, so it's not just philosophy. This course I've kind of crafted to be a bridge course out of the spirituality. So your first year in seminary, you do a year of prayer, and it's a it's a deep dive and a deep immersion into life in Christ. And then you do in, in, into a largely academic life excuse me and i want to figure out and teach how do you do that and i call that contemplative intellectuality yeah and so we studied the kind of the groundwork of that for the last six weeks and then um i said here's a here's a model of a guy who is doing it and his name is luigi giassani Mm -hmm. and i think he's the best educator of the 20th century in the catholic world and uh so He's, he's the model. So we started working through his addresses, which have just been published in this lovely little um, 
thing out of McGill, Queens University. Joe McGill. Not Joe McGill. Uh, he wishes. To give one's life for the work of another. Hmm. These are the three uh, addresses he gave to the movement Communion Liberation in uh, 97, 98, 99, I believe. And uh, this is some dense stuff. I mean, he, he is like, the guy is just unbelievable. I guess uh, the Clue groups have pulled this text from because it's too difficult really, for college kids. So huh. I'm trying it out with baby seminarians. but um, And I think it's, it's going well. But I wanted to just pull one thing out of it uh, here today. Great. Yeah, so Luigi Giussani, he's he was a priest. Uh, but I remember going over one of his books. Um, I can't remember which one in anthropology or Mariology, whichever course when you when you taught me back in seminary right um right but but one of the things that always captivated captivated me about him that you mentioned is he has the the religious sense uh that we dove deep into but he goes and he gets a doctorate and then he goes back to his home diocese and he goes to the bishop and you would think oh yeah he has a doctorate let's put him in a university let's put him in a seminary let's put him where he's actually going to be used uh for his degree and then he says nope I want to teach in a high school. <laughs> so he gets this high level degree and then he goes and walks with teens. Yeah. It's, it would be the equivalent of me um, going to South high school down the street. So not John Paul, the great high school, the new mm. one we were working on, but South high school, public Denver school. public schools in the 1950s. And Giussani is masterful um, and his insight into um, the crisis that the church was about to go into was absolutely prophetic. Um, it's the 1950s. I've done podcasts on him before, so I don't want to go too long into the biographical stuff. Um, but uh, you can listen to the religious sense, or there's some other ones on him. Um, it's the 1950s. Churches are full. Schools are packed. Catholic institutional life is at its high. Hmm. Everything looks like it's great. This is Milan, one of the Catholic centers of the world. And he's like, this is all going to fall away very fast. And it did. Wow. And the main reasons for that were, as he laid out, we're going through an educational emergency in the church, which means we've lost a sense of how to educate, hmm. how to bring a, a, a vision of reality, a worldview to bear on real things. So he sees these high schoolers, and what does he see? He sees, well, uh, no real motivation for faith because it has no bearing on life whatsoever, on the things of their life. It has no social ramifications. Like, it's my life, and then there's this other thing. It has no connection. And then there's this real intense uh, climate of skepticism already at work in the 1950s. Hmm. And, you, and you see this already. Like, we're working against skepticism constantly, which is not the natural posture that the human mind uh, operates out of. It's assent. We naturally believe credible people. But the church has lost so much credibility that it would, be, it would seem incredible to trust the church. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. So he's he puts his finger on it. One of the main things that he talks about, especially in these essays, is... <laughs> Sorry, I'm drinking... Uh, the San Pellegrino. San Pellegrino. I'm getting thirsty this morning. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Did you ever see that, Seinfeld? Uh-uh. Oh, my gosh. Such a chotch. Um, he says, the reduction of reason is one of the main problems for the educational emergency we find ourselves in. And the reduction of reason... Uh, means reason not as, as he defines it in kind of classic Italian terms, um, as the awareness of reality according to the totality of its factors. That's how he defines reason. So an awareness of things, of reality. When we think of reason, we think of like um, running numbers 
in a physics lab mm-hmm. or doing kind of mathematical, doing calculus or something. That's reason at work. Uh, and reason for him is awareness of reality. Reason is the intellect and affectivity at work together. Sorry. I thought this was off. So, so the reduction of reason in modernity brings about this thing, rationalism, okay? And rationalism destroys and starts to undermine the way that we operate as religious people. And it starts to radically change the way we view the world. And it creates what he's going to call this circle of the five withouts. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The five withouts. That sounds great. Was that all introduction? Because I still have a lot of people telling me that the banter is getting too long. So that yeah. was you told me the other day that I had the shortest dive into the topic with, without the banter. But No was, banter. Let's go. That was pretty short. Banter. Let's, let's, yeah, we're moving today. And part of it's because we're late because I got to get to lunch. Um, so, yeah, so he, this is what he's, he describes it as. This is, um, yeah, again, th- this is not easy stuff. I saw a lot of kind of bright-eyed uh, 23-year-olds yesterday trying to explain this. So we're going to try and break this down as best as possible. One more time, the five what? The five withouts. Okay. So the name of this section is A Faith Emptied Out, The Five Withouts of Modern Rationalism. The Five Withouts. All right. So number one, first consequence of rationalism, the first without, God without Christ. God without Christ. Hmm. The denial of the fact that it is only through Christ that God has been revealed to us for what he is and the mystery revealed to him of what he is. As Christians, the fundamental belief is that we know God only through Christ, only Mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ, who is God, the second person of the Trinity, who, assuming humanity, actually becomes creation. He takes on a created nature, and we know him through his humanity. So that's different than uh, when people talk about God, right? Mm-hmm. Like Garonsky used to always talk about this. God is, a, is not a name. God's mm-hmm. a, a pointer, right? It's a, it's a, and he says, you're not going to get to heaven, and there's a guy with a sticky uh, name tag that says, hi, my name is God, you know? Like, this is not a... God is not a personal name. Newman goes so far as to say that we don't worship God, we worship the Trinity. We worship persons. Hmm. This, this kind of being. But most people think of God as an idea, as an abstraction. I was having beers on Sunday night with uh, a great guy named Tag. Uh, and Tag, I did his wedding in uh, January. And Tag's an agnostic, married a Catholic girl. But he's just a great dude. Just love hanging out with him. Tag believes in God, roughly. But what does God mean exactly? And I think what he's working on, which a lot of people are, is, well, what is Christ? Because Christ has been reduced to, I was telling him about this theory of atonement that I've been studying, and I'll probably podcast and blab on this later. But he said, is that a, is Christ, is, is he a symbolic or a literal reality? Mm-hmm. And that was like, oh, what a question, you know? And so we went into that. So he's working out, how do I, how do I understand Christ? But but tag as a typical non, his, his seems to be his understanding of God is without Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of fideism. So each one of these withouts, um, Giussani's going to say, this is the ism you get. This is the ideological thing. Ideology is when you create a worldview that starts with an idea, with a precondition, instead of with fact, with reality, with history. So Christianity 
And that's why I don't like the word Catholicism. You've heard that before. Mm. It can be understood as a system of thought, but it, it can't be reduced to that. Mm. So I'm not a big fan of that. So God so, without Christ is the first one, and what you get is a kind of fideism, mm. a blind faith in this kind of being, this idea, but no sense of connection to reality or history. And that's, that's kind of the first. It seems like if there is a connection to reality, it would be God is in everything, right? I mean, maybe this is just one aspect of it, but the whole pantheist notion that, and we see this in modern day, as we've discussed before, with, uh, with the idea of nature versus creation. Mm-hmm. So I go out into nature to experience some sort of like God, but there's no sense of uh, this has a bearing on my life in a way that that connects me with a creator, right? It's just like I just go and bond with nature because this being called God is in everything. Yeah. So we're going to get to that at okay. the end. Because sorry, the I way jumped. he's going to finish, if you imagine we're doing a circle here, um, the last part of it is pantheism. Gotcha. And that's super interesting. And I think that's a, you're, you're already seeing the full circle. Classic Sean Connery. <laughs> just go for the end. Is this what the you're philosophers kid, did? You're that kid who eats the dessert top off the thing, right? Like my family made kuchen. It was that little <laughs> sugary cinnamon top. My brother would always eat just the top of the bread. It's like, you're That's that, right. you're that you got kid. a cupcake, you eat the frosting you're first. You go right for the pantheism. So that's the first one, God without Christ. All right. This is the fideism of a modern rationalist mm-hmm. like Tag. And again, Tag is the man. And we found out that we both love the novel... Um, confederacy of dunces so we had a very interesting conversation about if anybody listens to that that's definitely not for the faint of heart that novel but um that's a whole nother topic that's a father mike rap uh favorite hmm. so that's that a lot of postmodern nons uh, say they're agnostic but they believe in god but it's a kind of fideism mm-hmm. like it's it's just like yeah 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 he's up there and there's some there's something there but it doesn't matter when i'm sitting at having a beer and watching football or or what I do on Sundays, it just it doesn't matter, you know. So that's the first one, fideism. Second one, Christ without the church. Mm. All right, so we're working our way down here. Right, the second one is Christ without the church. Interesting enough, he talks about this as Gnosticism hmm. is the is the uh, kind of falling out or the logical consequence of a Christ without the church. Can you explain what Gnosticism is and why he would say that? From what I understand, Gnosticism is the heresy where we focus on a certain secret knowledge. So gnosis in the Greek is knowledge, uh, where we think that, again, back to the rationalism, I can just reason my way through knowledge in order to figure everything out. I don't need faith. I don't need God. Yeah, that's it. Gnosis, the reduction of salvation to knowledge. We believe that salvation comes through humanity. Mm the humanity of Christ, that Christ's humanity, that God suffered in his humanity, and that that's what reconciled us. That's what atoned for our sins. That's what saves us. Not a secret knowledge that he partakes and communicates. It's interesting to think of Protestantism as kind of Gnostic in the sense that, like, when you think about this whole, like, uh, I accept Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior and I'm saved. Well, bam, that's it. That's kind of a Gnostic move. Mm Mm-hmm. And Gnosticism is the first heresy the church faces, and it's the perennial one. Because what Gnosticism does is it removes the mediation of the church from Christ. I can know things about Jesus. 
and I can be saved apart from any kind of mediation. Versus the Catholic perspective, which is that the church is not this kind of institution run by a bunch of angry celibates like Sean Conroy, <laughs> but uh, it is actually the humanity of Christ extended in history. Mm. That's what this. It, that's what it is. It's it, it, the incarnation in extension through history. The body, it's still there through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is. Um, and so, so there's this great line: "Caro, cardo, salutis" from. Uh, Tertullian, the flesh is the hinge of salvation. That's where we, that's where we find salvation. Um, but I think a lot of that has been lost. Most, most of the time when you talk to people who know Christ or talk about something about Christ, and they could be very serious Christians, but there's oftentimes not a sense of the church doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't mediate my relationship with God. And that is something that we have to just kind of we have to keep looking at so. yeah no i think that's right on and it reminds me of that video that went viral a few years ago um when i was in high school uh <laughs> jefferson bethke the why i hate religion but love jesus mm-hmm. why i love jesus but hate religion uh this idea that i can have christ without his church um but they go hand in hand like uh as we've i mean this this is mariology here right that if as you mentioned, the only way we have access to God is through Christ, but then in a sense, the only way we have access to Christ is through Mary, because Jesus comes through Mary in the church presented to us, yeah. and so we need the church. Otherwise, that's interesting how you connected that with Protestantism. I really like that that connection. And Mary becomes the, the ballast, kind of the thing that grounds us mm. from the anti-Gnostic tendencies. So as the church in the second century... Because remember, the church wasn't just like a collection of CEOs that went to Aspen and just said, let's get a great strategic plan. Let's see if we can do like 2,000 years of uh, growth. Let's mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, let's, let's see what kind of, you know, we can get investors involved. The church just found herself living. She was just living. Mm-hmm. And she was being killed for it. I mean, right away. It's just, you're just thrown right into it. So she's defending against Gnosticism. And what is she? Dis- she discovers Mary at the heart of her church and at the heart of her theology in defending Gnosticism. Why? Because Mary is the one; she's the assurance of humanity mm. for us, which is a great lead into the third one. If you if you're good on that, perfect. Yep. Okay. The church without the world. Hmm. So we've now worked our way through the, around the circle. God without Christ. Christ without the church. The church without the world. And interesting enough. He says, this is where we see clericalism and spiritualism. I'd like to give clericalism a different word. Now, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to buy new clerics, new clerical shirts at <laughs> Barbacone. Bar- Barbacone. Um, when we talk about clericalism, the, and when the Pope you know, hammers against clericalism, he's talking about something real, which is when priests take the office and they use it for their own personal gain instead of for pastoral charity and for service of others. That's not what Giassani is talking about with clericalism. Clericalism here means what we would call traditionalism. So I had a cup of coffee this morning uh, with uh, podcast listeners, possibly, Ariel and Brent, and they wanted this topic, but I'm not going to really give it to them because I already really wanted to do this today. But we were talking about all of their friends are going to the Extraordinary Forum Liturgy at Our Lady Mount Carmel. And then there's also a huge movement to the north, of we got to go meet and hang out with all the exorcists and talk about demons and everything 
And so it's kind of like we were talking about the interplay between traditionalism or clericalism and spiritualism. Both of them are the church living in reference to only herself and not the world. And that is, I think, a source of a lot of the dysfunction and the movement towards extremes that we're seeing uh, in the church, especially in young Catholics, right? Because everybody is just, again, if you start with the presupposition that holiness is intensity, and then you just start listening to the wrong people online, um, all of a sudden, boom, you find yourself going to total extremes, and uh, you get totally disconnected from the world. And Christianity just gets weird. Yeah. So that, I know yeah. we've talked about this many times. Well, yeah. I struggle with the way you phrase that because, um, right, the church itself, ecclesia uh, uh, in the Greek, right, to be, to be called out of. There's a certain sense that we who are in the church are called out of the world to be set apart. I mean, this is the Jewish, Jewish understanding of holiness in the Old Testament, that the Israelites are called out of a place to be set apart. So, like, how does that play in then? Like, if the church is called to be out of the world, in a sense, how do we still remain in the world? Yeah, there's some great stuff in the third century that you see um, Christians reflecting on their relationship to the world, um, where they talk about being foreigners, strangers in a strange land, mm. aliens. Um, they don't belong. Their citizenship is not in this world. Pilgrimage. But they're still in the world. They're still talking to their neighbors and different things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like part, part of my conversation this morning, just very practically was we're sitting at Metropolis coffee. There's this gay couple in their sixties that I always talk to when I'm in there, just because there was a very funny interaction where I walked in and they felt this spiritual energy hmm. change the coffee shop. They didn't see the collar though. And then they freaked out when they saw it. So anyways, we started talking, um, but they're like, you need to be in a cassock, you know, why aren't you in a cassock all the time? Hmm. And I'm like, well, that's the priest tuxedo. But if I was in a cassock, those I wouldn't be able to talk to these guys, and I I need to be able to talk to them. Like that's just really important. Hmm. Not to say that I I dress according to the the function and the means, but kind of wearing tuxedos all the time, it's just going to make us kind of even stranger in a, in in the kind of culture milieu versus hmm. clerics, which are essentially the same thing. And that was kind of part of the conversation was uh, don't get rid of these. Um, but live in relationship to the world. Augustine describes the church as mundus reconciliatus, the church, the, the world reconciled to the Father. Mm. That's the definition of the church. Church is in humanity. Church isn't in clerics. Church isn't in buildings. Church isn't in chanceries, right? Yes, she operates in these things as signs, um, but the reality of the church is, is in humanity, and that's where we got to keep finding it. And I think if we lose the world, we lose humanity. Mm. So spiritualism, clericalism, again, clericalism here is kind of like Pharisaic. Uh, this is not just the priests. It's it's a kind of clericalizing of trying to kind of pull away from the world. Because remember, Israel, back to your question, which I didn't answer, Israel exists for the sake of the nations. And her whole corruption falls by her obsessing over herself and claiming, you know, mm. really her her patrimony in the covenant for herself and for her own gain instead of for the conversion of the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I would love to maybe podcast podcast on this in, in a deeper topic because I have so many more questions there. But Well, ask me one before I go to number four. Well, so 
like f- with regards to like the cassock and living, you don't want to look weird. But in the same sense, like one of the things I've always wrestled with is like you want to look weird enough to the point where like people look at you and they say something is different about this person where I want to go and ask them questions. And sure, the caller does that anyways. But if someone's never seen a cassock, like they might lead them to a conversation to go and approach this person. So I don't think weird may, might be the right word, but do you see what I'm getting out of? Like if we live so otherworldly, people are going to look at us and say, I want what you have. You're not living for this world. You're living for something else. Well, I think, yeah, it is a larger question around why did we stop wearing cassocks? Mm. Is it because they got culturally weird? Maybe. Um, I think that why did we start wearing cassocks in the first place? You know, I don't know. I mean, that's so cassocks kind of are, I think that they speak of the, of the, the nobility and the beauty of the priestly office. Mm. I love wearing the cassock, right? I love having a nice old fashioned in my hand, even a cigar at times at a wedding reception in a cassock in the right setting. Okay. I won't wear that all the time, but in the right setting, um, where it's not going to alienate people. But I think that the the wearing of the cassock, in, it, sh- it shows the nobility. And that's why the Pope should wear the cassock all the time. We don't want to see him in white, you know, board shorts, you know, or, you know, like, or whatever. And the bishop should be in cassocks more because they, they express something of the fullness of the priesthood. Priests should wear a cassock when it's appropriate. But we shifted from wearing the cassock all the time in the 1940s, 1950s. A lot of it was because the world went into a military state around World War II, and all of a sudden chaplains found themselves, and then they came back from the war, and they were just dressing the same. The clerics are uh, a functional uniform, so to speak, if you want to use military language, uh, that expresses a kind of mode, which is that we're not always living in the full nobility of the priesthood, mm. presiding in that, but we got to kind of get in the trenches now. Mm. So our dress is more for the trenches, though we can wear and kind of express the full dignity. And I think that leading with that is, uh, is problematic. Leading with that in a coffee shop says, here comes the glory of the priesthood to people who, I mean, these gay guys are falling away Catholics. They might have been abused by priests. Mm. So do I need to kind of put it in their face of like just how stunning and radiant and beautiful the priesthood of Christ is? Maybe I don't need to lead with that. Maybe. Yeah. You know, so that's my take on it. Yeah, that's super And I've helpful. never actually thought about this before, but that's just, that's what came out. Yeah, I like that. Um, so, yeah. What was it? The church without the world? Church without the We got to get to pantheism, Sean. We're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> that was the church without the world, all right, which uh, in my, for Catholics, this is the most important, okay? So like uh, of the of the five withouts, this is the one, this is the real one that we're falling victim to, and things are getting extreme. Hmm. And again, you know, God without Christ, that's going to be the tags of the world, the kind of agnostics, nons. Uh, the church or Christ without the church, that's going to be kind of Protestants or kind of liberal Gnostics. But the church without the world, this is the temptation of the really hardcore faithful Orthodox Catholic who's not listening to this podcast because they're listening to Taylor Marshall, right? So they don't care. But this is the, these are our friends who were converted in, in focused Bible studies 20 years ago 
who now have families and are living in the suburbs and are looking for the fullness of Catholic life, but are listening to some of the wrong people and are getting into spiritualism or this kind of clericalism. And I think reframing the question of traditionalism as clericalism is a really, that'd be a great thing to do, yeah. to start shifting that language. Because it's not about the tradition, like for traditionalism. It's right. not about the tradition. What tradition are you talking about? You're talking about 16th century. You're talking about the tradition from fifth, the 15, 1545 to 1585, mm-hmm. Trent. That's what you're talking about, right? And kind of living in that that space right there and recreating that for your children right now. I get it, but that's not sufficient. So anyways, this one's really important, but let's continue. I like that. Temptation for, for us Catholics. Yeah. Number four. I'm super pumped about this, and I'm sorry I'm talking so much, but you're getting a taste of what it's like to be in the classroom. I miss with the me. classroom. I, I miss I it. So I'm sorry I'm, I'm talking at you. This should be more of a conversation. Okay, the next one, number four. A world without the eye. A the, world without the eye. This is very Giussani. How do you spell I? I. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah, the ego. Uh, this is the fourth without in which we gather reflections as seen as the world's situation today. Okay. As he says, as we've seen, the, world, the church without the world becomes clericalism, the impressive effect of fixed laws controlling every detail of life, which tend to describe the attitude to have in every detail of life. I mean, he's just unbelievable. Um, and then he says, the world without the eye, he doesn't na- designate this with an ism exactly, but he says alienation. I might call this like Marxism. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's where I would kind of locate this. The world without the eye. This is where the individual person is either lost or totally destroyed by the collective. Mm by this political party, by this super international corporation, you know, um, by this country. It's the, it, this is the level of the individual is, is dying in the world. They're, they're just collapsing in the sea of technology. This is kind of, they're swimming in these things, right? The, the secular world is, is people are, are really dying. We, we've had um, several really tragic deaths um, in our seminary community, extended family, or um, the Lord's community as well. Um, several of them suicides. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the absolute tragic um, kind of final and ultimate consequence of the alienation of the eye in the world. So the world without the eye sounds really abstract, but what it is is it's a personless, dehumanized world. That we're living in hmm. and that's what the world is left with when the church abandons the world when they say benedict option we're out we're all out and it's like well then this is where people despair and die mm-hmm. um, because the eye is going to become totally destroyed and controlled by it's all it's going to be power and violence is going to fill the vacuum if it's not christic charity coming from the church this is what we're that's what we're doing so if you want to retreat from the world and go hide in your little Catholic bubble, that's fine. But people are dying. People are desperate. And yeah, they pretend like they're wealthy and comfortable and everything's fine, but scratch below the surface. They need God. They need Christ. They need the church. Hmm. Yeah, it's always like there's this tension between um, being a part of something big, like the Marxist um, 
communism kind of tendency of being a part of a collective whole. We need to recognize that we are, but we still have the I, the, the personalistic nature of each person, the dignity of the human person. It matters. Um, I was meeting with someone today actually who is just like really having a hard time in life, uh, broke up with his girlfriend, struggling with some stuff in his family, with his parents. And he's just like, where do I find my place in life? And I said, uh, like you need to find your place in the sense of like, you need to recognize like who you are, that you still have an identity in God. Like you, 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 the fact that you exist, that God has given you existence, that's good in of itself. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter all these extra chaotic things right now. Like who are you and what's your relationship with God? Like mm-hmm. that's it. And, and the church has a very particular role of personalizing the I. So we, the church, remember this when we were, I don't know if you remember this, like the individual exists for the community, but the community exists for the person, mm-hmm. that line from Mary Tan. So the church is the community by which individuals become personalized. Mm. But if you take the church out of the world, the opposite happens, where the I becomes alienated uh, from the world, and the world just becomes this collective. It's just, it's just more and more people uh, on social media, more control, Amazon consumers... Amazon is not interested in personalizing. John Fraker doesn't listen to the podcast, so we can make fun of Amazon, <laughs> his his uh, employer, right? Or whatever it is, I buy things on Amazon. Like it, it, major corporations are not interested in the personalization of the I. They what they want to do is conflate the ego mm-hmm. um, for all of its problems in order to capitalize on it. So that leads us to the last one, which is the I without God. Full circle. We have now completed the circle. God without Christ, Christ without the church, the church without the world, the world without the eye, and now the eye without God. And what he says here, very interesting and, and uh, you know worth reflecting on more. The eye without God leads to two final destinations, pantheism or nihilism. So how would you describe those two? You already talked about pantheism a little bit. but Yeah, so pantheism, God is in everything. Um so this idea that I can just go out into nature and just experience kind of godness, if you will, but there's no bearing of God imprinting himself on me. And then nihilism, uh, it kind of experience that nothing matters, that nothing really has a nature, nothing has a goodness, nothing really matters. So I just kind of float around and back to the last one of like my eye, the, the, my ego doesn't matter. So I just kind of float around with a collective whole and that doesn't even matter anymore with nihilism. Mm-hmm. Nothingness, uh, nothing has meaning. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see pantheism and nihilism as flowing out of alienation. They are fruits of an alienated ego. Okay, hmm. so what does that mean? It means alienation is the opposite of communion. Communion, we believe, is the foundation and the bedrock of all reality. This is why everything exists, because God is himself communion, which means a, a, un, a union uh, being with others, that God is Trinitarian, three persons, one God, that his essence is in fact relationality, and that he impresses upon the world this communio structure, pattern uh, to everything. This is how, this is how it, certainly human existence is, but all of reality is structured with this Trinitarian relationality. Alienation is the is the conviction and the rejection of communion, which means that pantheism has to deal with, or nihilism has to deal with the fact that there's no I-thou. There's no love. Hmm. 
There's no other in relationship to me. It's just I either collapse the I, thou, the you, the me, or uh, I despair that they're so dialectically opposed to each other that there's no meaning in anything. So you can see how the question of meaningfulness dies with pantheism or nihilism. Nihilism is the explicit rejection of meaningfulness, and pantheism uh, attempts meaningfulness, but by rejecting the duality of a, a, an I-structured universe or a dualistic understanding of the world, that there is God and that there is creation, and that, but that they are mysteriously in this nuptial relationship. Hmm. That's where we end. And that's why I think with Giussani we can say most people who are postmodern nons who kind of fill this circle, um, they end up in one of these two things. So they go to the mountains, and they're looking for God, and they're looking to be spiritual. And then they say weird things about energy, and then they take mushrooms, and they break on through into the other side. But, uh, but the experience of things, it's a, it's a false equating and an attempt at deification. Or there's ultimately, and sometimes it's, they go back and forth, at least they did in my day, um, nihilism then is that kind of dark cliff of despair where uh, you can go into very quickly. Mm. And this is like drug culture. I don't want to go into it now, but it's, it's kind of the pantheistic quest for the meaningfulness of things that, that ultimately ends in the total destruction and despair of nihilism. Mm. And we want to keep people from that. And the way we do that is by bringing them back to God. We've got to work our other way around the circle. Mm. All right. Yeah, that sounds great. And, I mean, I know you said you already podcasted on this, but this idea of the religious sense then, that in, in man there's a religious sense in each of us that there's something bigger than me. There's something bigger than uh, when I go out into nature and out into the world. There's something bigger to the point where this stuff does matter, mm -hmm. right? There's a horizontal relationship with others, but then there's a vertical relationship with the divine. Um, and we're curious by nature. So be curious. Go and look, you know, go and discover Keep the questions before you. That's what I said to Tag on Sunday night. We were watching the Broncos, who are so bad. It's embarrassing. Um, and uh, at this place called the Dive Inn. The Dive Inn. Have you been to the Dive Inn? No, is it a dive bar or what? Oh, absolutely. It's like the archetypal dive bar. It was amazing. It's it, not too far from you. But it's like the last place you can get cheap beer in Denver. Seriously. But... We are talking about a lot of interesting things. We're watching football. There's like drunk guys taking Jack and Cokes over our shoulders as we're sitting there. And we're talking about atonement theory and some great literature. And But that's the, the is Tag and I are together trying to keep the questions before us. Mm. And my job isn't to fix him or to right. make him a Catholic or to win and to give all the right answers. It's, as Giussani said, to expand reason to its fullness so that it can actually envelop and enfold the religious sense within it thus making faith and reason mm. the two wings that ascend uh to the fullness of the mystery of god that's what we're about all right stop me amen thanks amen. john yeah shout outs uh can i give two shout outs <laughs> you can give two shout outs just not two graces at lord's day yeah well i yeah larkin is always upset at me for that <laughs> um uh two shout outs one to father michael o'loughlin he uh, I just walked into my house the other day for um, 
Uh, Father Brian likes to cook dinner on Sunday nights. I walk into my house. Who's standing there? Father Michael O'Loughlin. I'm Classic. like, what, since when have you been in town? And Most random dude ever. Stays at our house. We didn't even know he was coming in town. So shout out to him. It was good to reconnect with him. We were talking a little bit about the podcast and whatnot. So great to see him. And then shout out to uh, Amy Nays. She wrote me a nice little email. She's a, one of our best sacristans at Lourdes. Um, super generous, super kind. But she just said, thanks for the podcast. Love Love listening to it. So shout out to you, Amy. Thank you for listening as well. Very nice. I was hanging out with my friend Ellie Reinhardt recently, and she said give a shout out to Lena McGovern, uh, who she lives with in the Bronx. So, Lena, thanks for listening to the podcast. And then uh, from this summer, Ann M. gave us a bottle of uh, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky Owl bourbon, which we drank and enjoyed. And uh, shout out to her. And then lastly, Colton and Julia Severson, uh, who I met at Claire and Weston's wedding this summer. They're awesome and great Catholic uh, podcast listeners. So thanks to everybody for listening. Threw a lot at you today. Uh, this is Nepple, Nepple getting fired up about Giassani, but just read him. Just buy this book to give one's life for the work of another. Don't be afraid of it. Dive into it. Um, and uh, yeah, keep at it. Great. Keep the questions before you. So the five withouts, we'll leave it there. We're off to New York. I'm off to Rome. We'll see you in a few weeks. We'll see you next week. But, uh, see you in a few weeks. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Bye.